Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We're in Luke chapter 5. Let's begin in verse 17. On one of those days, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then some men came, carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. All right, I've, I've taught this miracle before when we were going through the Gospel of Matthew. It, uh, it comes up in, I think it's, is it Matthew chapter 9? And it's, it's an incredible, incredible story. The miracle here is that Jesus looks upon a sinner and proclaims him forgiven. That is the greater miracle. That's the miracle that lasts forever. That Jesus healed a paralyzed man in this text is actually secondary. In fact, it was to prove to the Pharisees who had come from all over the place to watch Jesus. It was to prove to them that the forgiveness had actually taken place. Everyone who was ever healed of anything physically, paralysis or even resurrection from the dead, which happened a couple of times in, in the gospel narratives, they eventually die anyway. Their physical healing is temporal. It has to do only with this life, however long that may be on the earth. And it, it, pales utterly in comparison to the eternal nature of salvation. And so as incredible as it is, as much as we pray for, uh, for God to work physical miracles uh, to heal people who are sick, uh, man, absolutely pray that God does that, because I do believe that God does that. The greater, truer, and eternal miracle is the salvation of a lost soul. So the true miracle of, of this text, of, of Luke chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 9, the greater, truer, eternal miracle is that Jesus looked upon a sinner and proclaimed him forgiven. Contextually, there's a lot that will illuminate this text for us. So uh, the Pharisees are always sitting there. They like the front row seats, and they've come from every village of Galilee and Judea. These are large regions, and also from Jerusalem. Those are probably kind of the, the elite dudes. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. This is, this is setting up the stage, as you can see, for something profound. And I love, I love these guys. They are carrying their paralyzed friend on a stretcher, and they tried to bring him through the crowd, but they couldn't find a way. And so they go up on the roof and they lower him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. The text, the text doesn't say this, but we do know that rooftops in this region, in this era, were beginning to use insulation. And that could have been sort of like thatch work, but we also know that sometimes manure was used uh, to insulate. And so as that desert sun would beat down in the interior of the house, perhaps if you had clay roof tiles and you had like a layer of some sort of, uh, some sort of insulation, and then a second layer beneath that, then, you know, it would be a few degrees cooler inside the house than it was outside the house. And then likewise at night had a way of kind of trapping warmth. And so we were just beginning to learn how insulation works, according to archaeology, in this area 
at this time. The text doesn't say it, but it's possible that these guys busted through these tiles and caused a hole to form in the ceiling, installing a sunroof while Jesus is teaching, and that manure fell down on top of the Pharisees who had helped themselves to the front row seat. They hated Jesus, but they never missed an opportunity to hear him speak. And when Jesus looks up, he saw their faith. Did you see that in the text? It's in Matthew's text and it's in Luke's text. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. He saw their faith. Now this right here is miraculous to be able to look at someone and see their faith and to see that they had belief that Jesus could do this, that they had that audacious belief that God could do something impossible and that Jesus saw that. He then works the greater, truer miracle. They have lowered a man down on a stretcher in front of him. So it's obvious what needs to be done, right? It's obvious that this is a man who could not get through the crowd himself. It's obvious this is, this is a man who could not walk himself. And he is looked upon by Jesus, and the very first words that Jesus says to him are the ones that he needs to hear the most. We didn't have any knowledge of neuroscience in that, that first century. We didn't know about nerve damage and, and the spinal column, and, and we didn't know. We didn't really understand paralysis. So it was kind of believed that if you suffered from paralysis, then you must have done something really horrible to make God really mad. And when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, he addressed the greatest source of pain for this man. It wasn't so much the paralysis as it was the fact that his eternal soul needs God and that he had likely been shamed by, you know, the greater public, looked down upon by the Pharisees, for example. The Pharisees saw themselves as righteous and they saw him as a sinner. And Jesus looks at that man on that stretcher and proclaims him forgiven. The Pharisees are going to get mad and say, who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus, in another miracle within the miracle within the miracle, knows their thoughts and then proclaims him forgiven and shows him that he, Jesus, the Son of Man, has the authority on the earth to forgive sins. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And the man gets up, picks up his mat, and walks. And everybody says, we've seen, we've never seen anything like this. The healing of the man's paralysis was to prove the healing of the man's soul. I want you to be like this paralyzed guy's friends. I want you to not let a crowd stop you from bringing friends to Jesus. Okay, are we talking Seattle Christian? It, I know that it, uh, you may not have the same situation. You may not have huge hordes and crowds of people all bustling together to get there to see Jesus, even the ones who hate Jesus. But there is a crowd that would stop you from doing this. It could be your coworkers, and it could be overall just culture in general. It could be social media. It could be your neighborhood and your family dynamic. And there's a crowd that would try to stop you from bringing friends to Jesus. Let no crowd stop you from bringing friends to Jesus. Let no rooftop stop you 
from bringing friends to Jesus. Let no physical challenge or inconvenience stop you from bringing friends to Jesus. If you have the faith that God can heal their eternal soul forevermore, working the greater, truer, eternal miracle of this text right there before your eyes, then let nothing, nothing, nothing stop you from bringing your friends to Jesus. No crowd, no rooftop, no high height, no cultural stigma. Bring your friends to Jesus. Bring your friends to Jesus. Bring your friends to Jesus that he may look upon them and say, friend, your sins are forgiven.